Amen. Amen. There's no reason to stay at a distance. Amen. Hallelujah. That's awesome. I was just standing back there and I was thinking because I was telling that goofy salsa story. and I, I, But I felt like this is almost a prophetic word for other several teenagers in here and stuff. And if you're a young person in high school or you're in early in college and whatever, I just want to encourage you that all the best stuff in life happens way after all that. Okay, and I know I know you may find that hard to believe or whatever, but if if you you know if you're high school and college and stuff, all that can be sometimes challenging and. You know, it's like uh, maybe you're not as cool as you want to be or something. And, and you know, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you and he's proud of you. And, and you, don't, you don't need to be some super person in high school to have a, to have a good life or in college or whatever. Um, I, was, I was a major nerd and I, I wasn't very cool. Um, but, but look at me now. No, but, <laughs> no, but, but what I but what, what I mean is is, is that all, a lot of a lot of stuff that's like in in high school, all that all those, a lot of the stuff's just totally artificial. And you you know, and you graduate, and and you're like, wow, none of that really meant anything. And I cared about it so much. And it's not that it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to devalue it, but I just I just want to encourage you that the the media and stuff just so aggrandize being young. And I mean, ask ask any person in here that's that's above 50 whether they'd rather go back. I think. Most of them, most of you'd be like, "No, I'm good." <laughs> They've done studies. People get happier as they get older. Because yeah. you quit stressing out so much and comparing yourself to people. So, anyway, I don't. I just felt like God was saying that. So, okay. So, there you go. Be encouraged. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we're doing a series about connecting with the Lord, and my hope is just to do practical stuff to help you grow in your personal relationship with Him. That's what I really want. I, want you, I believe that relationship with the Lord is the most precious thing that there is, and I try to re- remove hindrances and um, create clarity about how to, how to do that. And so today I want to just teach you one principle that's really simple. Um, it's going to take me a little bit to communicate it, but I want to try to answer this simple question. How do we experience closeness and intimacy in our relationship with the Lord? So how many of you want to have a really close, intimate relationship with, with God? I, I hope that you do. If you're like, I'm not sure I'm real into that, I want to suggest to you that it's probably just because you haven't really met Him very much. Because the more you know God, the, it creates hunger to know Him more. I mean, I, I, uh, 
grew up in church, but I was largely apathetic towards the whole thing for until um, I was like a, in middle school, and the Lord started to get a hold of my life, and I experienced just a little bit of him and his love for me, and that was enough. That hooked me. <laughs> and the more, the more you see and the more you experience, the more that you want that kind of depth and relationship with the Lord. So this lady, St. Teresa of Avila or Avila, anybody heard of her? Two people. Okay, well, anyway, she's a famous Catholic saint, and uh, she described prayer and intimacy with God as a series of, of mansions, and that there were like these seven mansions, and, and that you progress through these things, and, and you're trying to get sort of to the Holy of Holies, you're trying to get to the, the innermost area. And I love reading her stuff, because she just describes uh, this amazing union that she had with the Lord, and various ecstatic experiences that uh, she would have. She would described just feeling her heart pulled up upward with the Lord, and a lot of people actually saw her like levitate, uh, which I know sounds crazy, but it was a, it's it's canonized. I mean, they they uh, studied this or whatever. But anyway, that was the weirdest manifestation. But she'd feel the joy of the Lord and the 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 love of God and stuff, and in the innermost mansion or the innermost connection with the Lord, um, you know, it was like time would, would fade away and memory and even her will, and all there was was just awareness of God and of the love of God. Now, the, um, it's important to understand that in the middle of all that, she still, she's, you need to understand this. She stressed, I'm still me and I'm still aware of my distinction from God. The reason that matters is that, is that Christianity isn't, isn't pantheistic. It's, it's not the belief that we're some sort of extension of God and we're trying to get back, like reunified with God or something like that. That's, that's like nirvana. So um, if you, you study other religions like in Hinduism or whatever and they're trying to go to nirvana, in nirvana, nirvana, I mean, it's honestly, it's not really that great because... Because the sense of yourself is destroyed. You aren't you anymore. You're just, you, you're just united to the, to the spiritual force or whatever. And, and so basically you're annihilated. <laughs> so some Christians think that hell is annihilationism. So how great is Christianity that other people's heaven is our version of hell? <laughs> no, I mean, that's not how some, that's, not, that's just how some Christians think about hell. But, but anyway, the point is that, that in Christianity, even though you're unified with the Lord, you're still you and you're still separate from God. Um, so you aren't, I don't know why, that helps me a lot because I was always in my prayer life trying to pursue some sort of union with the Lord where I, because where I, I'd always pray this prayer you know, less of me, God, more of you. Anybody ever prayed that? I'm like constantly trying to get rid of myself. And the trouble is God doesn't answer that prayer. Because he actually likes you and doesn't really want to get rid of you. He likes your personality. So even, even in 
the most ecstatic states that I've been in personally when I've really been touched by the Lord in, in rather radical ways, I'm still aware of myself, and I'm still me. Now, at some point, I've lost control of my body, <laughs> and I'm, you know, and, and my emotions and things like that, but I'm still, I'm not, I'm not, haven't lost my sense of self. So anyway, when I hear stuff like that about how there's these different mansions and there's like different levels of prayer and stuff like that, what, what that does to me, I don't know what it does to you, but it makes me think, well, I want to I work my way towards the, towards the innermost one, right? I want to I try to get there. And I'm concerned that a lot of energy in the church is misdirected trying to get something that we already have. And I know in my own personal life, I've spent a lot of time trying to, trying to get close to God or, you know, when I was growing up, they were always talking about backsliding and everybody was backslidden every, every five minutes and... and <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, I was backslidden, and then I repented, and then I went out in the parking lot, and I got backslidden again. <laughs> it was really depressing. So, so I was always trying to do, do these things to, to get into the presence of God, to get connected with God, and I always felt like I was being disconnected from, from God, and I was trying to become more intimate with Him. So what I've learned is that there's a different way to do all that, which is called grace. And so I'm going to give you the point up front. Here's the strategy, then I'm going to just try to explain it. I believe the best strategy is to quit trying to get close to God or become intimate with Him and instead just believe that you already are. Okay, so that takes some explaining. So let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has evidently been set forth as crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? This asks two really good questions. The first question is, how did you get saved? How did you receive the indwelling Holy Spirit? Did you come to Jesus and get saved because you were such a great person? Did you get born again and, and receive the Holy Spirit because you worked really hard and you prayed and fasted all night and you quit sinning and then Jesus saved you? No. In fact, Jesus saved you when you were at your worst, right? That's what Romans 5.8 says. God commended His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were at our absolute worst, God was at His best dying for us. So the whole point is, God saves you when you're a scumbag. Not strong language, but you need to, you need to realize that, you, what, that you're, you were a sinner. I love the grace message, but sometimes the grace message focuses so much on, on where we are now, which is that you're not a sinner, 
you can forget that you, that you were one. And you do need to remember that you were one. And that you needed Jesus and that you needed, you needed a Savior. And so anyway, but how did you get saved? Well, you, you didn't get saved by your works. And then he says the next question, have you, having been begun in the Spirit, so the, the Spirit saved you, having begun that way, having begun in grace, are you now perfected through the law? Well, the obvious answer is no. Right? So he's saying, he's saying look, if, if God gave you his best gift, salvation, Jesus, when, when you deserved it the least, how are you now going to go try and merit every gift after that? Well, you shouldn't. If you, if you began in grace, you ought to just continue in grace. If you go into a store and, and you can't afford any of the stuff in there. Everybody ever been to that store? You know, they don't have, they don't have price tags on the clothes. If you've been in there... That's how you know. That's how you know you can't afford it. Because <laughs> if you wonder what price it is, you can't afford it. So, so anyway, if you go into that store and you, you're like, I can't afford any of this, and then, and then the manager comes to you and he says, hey, this is our most expensive suit. Why don't you just have it for free? That's great, Right? How many of you would receive that? It'd be awesome. I'll, I'll take my measurements. I'll receive it. Okay, well, now look. If you're going to get anything else in the store, how are you, th- how are you going to get it? You're not going to get it. You already established you aren't paying for it, right? So if you've got, you got the most expensive item by grace, you, all the other stuff you're going to get by grace too. That's what he's saying. And in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, it actually says that God has already given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus. So everything's already paid for in the kingdom. Now, here's, here's the trouble, all right, is that even though we've, we've been given everything in Jesus, we aren't always currently experiencing everything that we've been given. And because of that, it can lead you to believe that you don't actually have it. So you'll spend all your time trying to get it. I'll give you an example. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says that he who has joined himself unto the Lord is one spirit. You're already united to the Lord. Psalm 16.11 says that in the presence of God there's fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. So, if you're united with God, that means God's present with you, right? Which means you ought to have joy and pleasure. Does that make sense? Because he's already given it to you. Okay, how many of you will acknowledge that sometimes you don't have joy and pleasure? (laughs) Okay, so here's the breakdown. God says, I've given you a whole bunch of joy and pleasure. And you're like, I ain't seen none of it. So what do you do? Well, you, you assume that you don't have it because you aren't experiencing it, which is a rational 
conclusion, and you spend all of your energy trying to get it. The trouble is, from God's perspective, you've already got it. And so we spend all this energy, God, give me some joy down here. God's like, well, I I gave you all the joy I got. Is everybody okay? And we, we, we spend a lot of spiritual energy trying to, trying to get God to give us some stuff that he already says is ours. Okay. Now, that's, that's difficult. That's confusing. What's going on? What this illustrates is that there's a division of labor in the kingdom. I've taught this before. There's God's part. There's your part. You can't do God's part. I used to say God won't do your part. I actually believe God can't do your part either because he gave you free will. So God can't do your part for you. You can't do God's part. If you try to overstep your part and do his, you'll get into all kind of anxious toil and legalism, trying to earn stuff. So what's that look like? God, I don't have any joy. I'm about to pray and fast for six hours. That's about all I can make it. No, I'm, I'm going to pray and fast for two weeks until you give me some joy. Okay, God's job is to give you joy by grace. If you start trying to earn the joy, hear me, If you start trying to earn it and make it happen through your own flesh, then you're overstepping your job and you're getting into his and you're going to get on the religious treadmill and you might run for a little bit. If you've been been exercising on the religious treadmill for however long, sometimes you can run longer than other people, but eventually you're going to get tired and discouraged and quit. Because you're doing stuff that's outside your, your calling. Now, if you refuse to do your part, that's called laziness or apathy or, or presumption, assuming that God's not only going to feed you, but he's going to or not only provide food, but that he's going like, to open your mouth and shove it in there and go, uh, make you chew it. Okay, so when it comes to relationship with God, the division of labor can be hard to decipher. This, I think, really is one of the hardest hardest things in the Christian life. So I'm going, to try to, I'm going to try to separate the two just a little bit for you today. I'm going to give you an example, and then I'm going to do the main one. So what was Jesus' job in the relationship? Jesus' job is to forgive you of all your sins. That's his job. Can you forgive yourself of your sins? Can you pay for your sins? How many of you have tried? Okay, if you've tried, you know that you're getting over here in this area that you can't, you can't do. You're getting over into God's stuff, and you're going to live a life full of anxiety because you're trying to, to achieve something that has to be received as a free gift. So his job is to forgive you. Now, what's, now here's the thing. From God's perspective, if you're a Christian... He's forgiven you. 
So, why is there sometimes a breakdown where I don't feel forgiven? Anybody ever not felt forgiven as a Christian? Okay, there's two possibilities. One is, I'm trying to do his part, which is, I'm trying to get my, pay for my own sin, get myself forgiven. If I do that, I'm not going to feel forgiven ever because I, I, I can't ever do enough. The other thing is, if, is if I refuse to do my part. So I can't do his, but I do have to do mine. What is mine? It's simply to believe that I'm forgiven. If you spend a lot of time and energy trying to get God to forgive you, you're going you're gonna to feel bummed out. But at the same time, if you spend all day wallowing in self-hatred because of your failure, that's refusing to do your part, which is to believe that you're forgiven. Everybody okay? Okay, now, what about the big ticket item? How do we experience union and intimacy and closeness with the Lord? Jesus' job was to place you in union with Him and the Father. Look at John 17. John 17, let's read these verses, 1 through 3. These words Jesus spoke and lifted His eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, the hour is coming. Glorify Your Son, that Your Son also may glorify You. And, (coughs) excuse me, as you have given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. He says, I'm going to give. Everybody say give. I'm going to give eternal life. Does he say you're going to earn eternal life? He says, I'm going to give it to as many as, as the Father's given me. That's a whole theology, but Psalm, Psalm 2.8 clarifies that. And the reality is if you'll, if you'll receive Jesus, then then you're somebody that God's given Jesus. So, that, so what he's saying basically is, I'm going to give it away to anybody that wants it. And then he says, and this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The word know means far more than a, the intellectual knowledge. It means experience. Adam knew his wife Eve, and they conceived and, and had a son. It's talking about intimacy, connection, closeness. Real fellowship. So how do you receive union and intimacy and closeness with the Lord? Jesus says, I'm just giving it away. So can you, can you earn it, really? Can you, through your flesh and, and all this stuff, make yourself climb into into intimate fellowship with the Lord. Now, prayer and fasting and all that stuff has a place. I'm going to show you where it is because it does, it does matter. And just sitting on the couch, you know, watching TV is not going to help you feel unified with the Lord. Okay? So there is a place for spiritual discipline, but, look, but it's not to make you unified with the Lord. Now, notice John 17, 8. It says... For I have given, now what's our part? So God's part's to do it. Then our part, verse 8, I have given unto them the words which you gave me, and they have received them, and have known for sure that I came out from you, and they have believed 
that you did send me. What do we do? Receive and believe, or believe and receive. So Jesus says this, I'm going to take people that are far from me, and I'm going to place them forever in intimate fellowship with me. And from God's perspective, if you're a Christian, it's already done. So what's the strategy? The strategy is not to try to get God to do it. The strategy is to, get, is to believe that it's done. That's actually a lot easier, I think. 1 Corinthians 6.17, once again, it says, He who has joined himself unto the Lord <coughs> has become one spirit with him. You, you can't, you understand, you can't get any closer than one spirit. This is why when God speaks to you, sometimes you can't, you, you almost don't notice it because it sounds like your own thoughts because he's so interwoven with, with the inside of you. You're one spirit. You can't, you can't get yourself more unified with the Lord in your spirit, in your inner man. It's impossible to achieve higher levels of intimacy with God through fleshly efforts. Notice this, verse Corinthians 6, 19 says, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you can't get into the Holy of Holies because you are the Holy of Holies. The, the, blood of, the blood of Jesus, it didn't just open the door for you to go in, it, it made you the building. So, again, there's God's part, there's my part. God's part's to cleanse me, to put me in union with the Lord. I can't do any of that. If I'm trying to make myself holy enough that God will live in me, you might ought to give up on that. I'm serious. You, you understand how holy Jesus is? So, so me trying to pursue holiness so God will live in me, it doesn't work. I pursue holiness because God lives in me. So I've got God living in me. I'm, I'm unified. What's my part? Well, don't do that. Don't do his. But my part's to believe and to, to learn how to experience what God's already given me. So in, in my opinion, this deal with, with joy, okay? So go back to Psalm 16, 11. God says, I've got joy. Why do I have joy? Because I'm one with the Lord. Everybody with me? Okay, I'm not experiencing it. Okay, what's the problem? It might be that I don't believe I have it. And it might be that I'm not acting on what I believe. The key to experiencing the joy and pleasure of God's presence is to genuine believe, genuinely believe that you're in heaven, united for all eternity with the Father, and then stay focused on that truth. That's, that's the key point. I've just seen this in my own life. If I focus on that and think about it, I'll feel good. If I think about all the stuff that's wrong in my life, I'll be, oh, I feel bad. But the joy doesn't go away. The joy's there. 
It's just whether or not I'm focused on it. But the joy is there. And the key is to believe that. The pleasure is there. The key is to believe it and to quit trying to get it. Does that make sense? So look at, look at 9. I bolded this because I thought it was the main point. All the effort in the Christian life should not be to try to achieve union with God. That's what all other religion is about. Instead, there is effort in the Christian life, but it's targeted at removing obstacles like our poor thinking, which hinder us, hinder us from experiencing the union we already have. So I do have a part to play. I do exert spiritual energy and effort, but not to get God to do something, not to try to earn something. Instead, I'm trying to figure out what it is I've already been given and how to operate in that. Okay, so just one last example, and then I'm going to pray for you. In the Methodist movement, the early Methodist movement, this is like John Wesley and Charles Wesley, and everybody read about them, George Whitfield. They were really powerful ministers. And the reason they're called Methodists is because they had a method. <laughs> and, they, and they were really into uh, sanctification, which is the process of, of living holier. So I'm into, I'm, I'm into that, okay? But what they, what they said was, well, let's just... Let's just have a clear strategy. Let's have a method. So, like, let's do the Christian life. On, on Mondays, let's go visit the poor. On Tuesdays, let's go to the prisons. On Wednesdays, let's fast and pray. You know, and so they just, they just had these disciplines, which, which there's nothing wrong with, but it ended up becoming this situation where they were trying to do all these things so that they could quit sinning. They're trying to really sort of, through their flesh, perfect themselves. And this went on for quite a while until there was this lady named Phoebe Palmer that she pioneered what was later known as the quick way. Everybody, everybody say the quick way. Okay, which, which actually makes me a little uncomfortable because there aren't shortcuts in the kingdom, but there is, there is the grace way. Everybody say the grace way. That's what I'd call it. So here's what Phoebe said you ought to do instead of all that. She said you ought to just confess what the Word says is yours and then claim this experience by faith in the Word. If that sounds familiar, it's because that probably influenced E.W. Kenyon, who influenced the Word of Faith movement. So if you're familiar with that kind of thinking, that she started that. And, uh, you know, that's really good advice. Instead of striving for intimacy with God, you should just confess that you already have it, and then believe it's true until you experience it. I can't tell you how good a point that is. I wish somebody would have told me that a long time ago. We're not trying to confess to change reality. That's new age. We're, we're trying to confess what's already reality so that we can experience it. I'll give you some practical examples of how this of how this would work. If you ever don't raise your hand, but but you know, how many of you'd like to experience some charismatic phenomena that you have not currently experienced? So don't don't raise your hand. But like you, you you've never spoken in tongues, or you wanna you wanna fall out, or you wanna 
you know, be healed or you want to... How many of you would like to laugh in the spirit? You can raise your hand in there. Okay, so hallelujah. Okay. So now, look. What if instead of trying to get that phenomena, you just believed that you had it and then acted on that? Uh, the, the reason I stress that is I, I, want people to, I want people to experience God, and there's a whole myriad of ways to experience the Lord. And I, and I, think, I think we often have this hang-up that we, we're, we're so worried about being inauthentic that we won't act in faith. And I, and I knew this because when I was, you know, when I was uh, 15... I was praying by my bedside, and I'd never heard anybody speak in tongues, but I asked the Lord I wanted to speak in tongues, and I started praying in tongues by my bedside. I was the first person I ever heard do that. And afterwards, I was convinced that I was doing it wrong. Anybody ever been convinced that you're doing it, doing it wrong? And so I went to, I went to all these uh, Pentecostal meetings, and I like stood by a guy and listened to him, I'm like, that doesn't sound like me. I must be doing it wrong. Is that too honest? Nobody's ever done that. Maybe I'm the, okay. So, so I did that. I mean, I don't care. But anyway, so I, I was trying to figure out whether or not I was doing the whole, the whole Christian thing right. Because I want to do it right. I don't want something fake. I've prayed with a whole bunch of people to receive their prayer language. I mean, like a lot of people. Sometimes people are so scared of faking it, of doing something fake, that they won't take any risk to try to just say something and, and get going. And I understand where that comes from because you want the real thing. But what I want to encourage you is that you already have the real thing. Whatever manifestation you want, you already have it. You already have God living on the inside of you. You have the whole kingdom in here. So sometimes it's just, it's just about believing and then acting on it. One of, one of my people that I really love, he, he says you shouldn't do this, but I think he's wrong. <laughs> he says you shouldn't prime the pump when it comes to praying in tongues. And so what that means is sometimes if people have a hard time praying in tongues, I'll say, look, just repeat, repeat after me for just a couple words and then just keep going if you don't know what else to say. And so People again, they have they have such a fear of inauthenticity that they that they won't take a risk. But in my in my like I used to do this for a living. I would pray for people, and people would call in, and and I mean I must have prayed I don't know how many people to to learn how to speak in tongues. And I'm telling you, if I hadn't done that with some people, they they would have never spoke in tongues because it's been like they've been trying for like ten years or something to do this. And the reality is, just, just 
open your mouth and say some stuff and keep going. Okay, now, you might already speak in tongues, that may not, but, but look, if you're looking around at people in some revival meeting and there are people laughing on the floor and you're like, I'd like to do that. Now, if you don't want to do that, then no big deal. Okay, but if you want to experience the joy of the Lord in such a way that it's, it's overwhelming to you, what I would encourage you is the scripture says you already have fullness of joy. So you could prime the pump. You know what that sounds like? Laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Well, pastor, I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be in the flesh. You're, you're more in the spirit. Somebody, somebody was giving me grief because... Anyway, don't get, don't get upset. But look, I love people that are risk takers. And, and if, if you act a little bit goofy trying to pursue God, I love you. And I'm not going to criticize you. And if somebody else does, I don't, I don't want to hear that personally. Because I've done a lot of goofy stuff seeking Jesus. So, so the deal is, if you, if, if you want to experience more joy, th this is something I've learned personally. I'll just go sit down and laugh. You think, well, you're, you're not... A, well, if you had my job, you might sit down and laugh too. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I mean... You, <laughs> you might do that to keep from crying sometimes, but no, I mean, I mean, you act, you, cause, because I have joy. And I'm going to act, I'm going to act like it. How many of you, how many of you want to, you know, physically feel the presence of God in some way? Now look, we don't live by feelings, and it doesn't matter whether you feel something or not. I've seen a lot of people healed when I don't feel nothing, okay? But if you're, the, if you're the person that every time you're in a revival service or something and, and people are praying for people and, and you feel like nothing's happening to you, try this. Just try it. Nothing bad will happen. When the minister comes to you, try falling over. Some of you think I'm crazy. <laughs> Do you know that the Scripture says, the Scripture says in Ephesians 2.6 that you're already seated in heavenly places in Christ. Do you know that that's not true? Because if you're in heaven, you ain't seated very much. You're most of the time flat on your face. Have you read Revelation 4? Okay, so the reality is your spirit man is always on its face before the Lord. How many of you would like to experience that reality? Confess it. Act on it. Pastor, I don't want to do something fake. You're, not, you're, you're agreeing with who you are in Christ. 
I've never heard anybody preach that, and I could be crazy. So if, if you try it and it doesn't work, then, you know, I guess you can write me some hate mail. But, <laughs> but here's, here's, my, here's my genuine concern. I, I want everybody to experience the, the reality of God. And if you want something in the kingdom, I want you to experience it. And, and I, I just in my own personal journey with the Lord, these various things where the Lord's, if I've heard the Lord's voice or if I, you know, I felt him, or something, they, they start off small usually. And you have to yield to it and you have to practice. And it takes time and stuff. And, and so you just be patient with yourself, but, but realize, look, I've, I've already got it. I'm not trying to get it. So quit feeling left out. You're a special person and Jesus loves you. So, I don't know. To me, that's really, that's really practical. Do you know if you want to, how many of you want to get a word of knowledge? Know something supernaturally that you couldn't know otherwise. Look, you, you've got to take a risk. Because it's not a booming voice from heaven. It's something, it's, it sounds like your own thoughts. And, you know, sometimes you might have to prime the pump. And so I've stood up here before and I've said, somebody has a problem with, I have no idea (laughs) (laughs) what I'm about to say. (laughs) What am I doing? I'm acting in faith. Because I I believe that I have all wisdom. First, first John 2.20 says you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Amen. So I know something. <laughs> if I know all things, I ought to know a little bit. I'm just being really honest with you about how this stuff works. You know, how many of you have been here when Jerry Garcia's been here? Yeah. Jerry Garcia's as anointed a minister as I've ever seen, and, and he walks around and, and just, you know, people get healed, you know, without even him praying for people. He just walks by, people get healed. It's amazing. You know that he's told me, he's like, he's like you know, I pray for people all the time. I, I don't feel anything. <laughs> That doesn't, that doesn't, you guys don't get it. He's, he's saying, look, he's saying, I'm, a, I'm about to get up. A lot of you, some of you have never done this, so you don't understand how challenging it can be. I'll get up in, in services, and I've gone, I've gone lots of places and done this, places that are resistant. You know, it's easier here because we've been working on it and what, but I've gone places where they've never seen the move of God and stuff, and I'll stand up there and I'm like, well, I've got to, you know, pray. <laughs> I got I told people we're gonna have revival service. I gotta about lay hands on somebody and God help me. And so I get up there and I don't feel nothing. But you just act in faith, and the Holy Spirit comes and touches people, and it's real. And then you feel something later, usually. But a lot of times when you start, you don't feel anything. 
Okay. Well, that was all really honest. Let's all stand up. This is a really honest church. If you need personal prayer, you can come down in just a minute. My prayer team could come down here. Hallelujah. I hope that helps somebody. I want you to experience more in your relationship with, with God. And I'd encourage you to do it the quick way or the grace way, which is just to believe you're already there. Amen. I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer, you can come down here in just a second.